and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining us on the podcast today is Fleeta Brown, poet, author, teacher. She is the writer of the essays that are collected in a new book recently released through Wayne State University Press titled Mortality with Friends. Fleeta currently lives in Traverse City, Michigan, but she has lived all over, primarily in Delaware, where she was serving on the English department of the University of Delaware. She founded the Poets in the Schools program there, which she directed for more than 12 years and served as Poet Laureate of Delaware between 2001 and 2007. To this day, she's still writing. She is posting essays to her website regularly and still working in academia, teaching in the Rainier Writing Workshop, which is a low residency MFA program in Tacoma. Fleeta has written several books and several, several poems and several, several, several essays. Her 10th collection of poems, Flying Through a Hole in the Storm, won the Hollis Summers Prize from Ohio University Press. Earlier poems can be found in The Woods Are on Fire, new and selected poems chosen by Ted Kuzer for the University of Nebraska Poetry Series. But we're on the podcast today to talk about her latest, which is a collection of essays throughout the decades called Mortality with Friends, which is memoir in feel, but bit of a lyrical essay where each piece feels like a fluid poem. The book muses on the nature of art, of sculpture, of the loss of bees and trees, the end of marriages, and among other things, the loss of hearing and the loss of life itself. It is very much a book where we are reckoning with mortality, where we are being open in our conversations with our friends, and where we are musing on, well, not exactly the fleeting nature of life, but maybe celebrating the quiet beauty of the moments that thread it all together. There are 22 essays in all in Mortality with Friends, and it follows the cascade of loss with the author's imminent joy in opening a path to track her own growing awareness and wisdom. Some of these essays are short, some are long, but all of them have the intention to look closely, to stay with the moment and the image. We start off by talking about the somewhat tricky concept of whether or not writing is therapeutic for the writer, or is it therapeutic for the reader, or is it therapeutic at all, or do we even worry about that when we begin the writing process. But nevertheless, as I'll say on this podcast, uh, there was something really comforting in these essays, even if they are bold, candid, unsparing, honest, sometimes even tough to read with what's revealed. There are feelings that are shared in this book that a lot of us are regularly wrestling with, and there was a sense of community, I think, that I felt that I felt maybe less alone as a reader because of what Felita Brown was able to share. So we're going to dive right in. This is our chat with Felita Brown. Felita Brown, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's good to see you. I'm so happy to be here. I want to start uh, by asking you to share any insights or ruminations regarding, I guess, the, because I know you have writing workshops and uh, you've you've been in this educational role as well. Can you talk about the daring that it takes to uh, to be adequately vulnerable and honest on the page? Your new book, uh, Mortality with Friends, has me thinking about 
the therapeutic qualities of the exercise of memoir, uh, but that it, it might be intimidating in a way for someone, any writer, to, to put down sentences that have the potential to trigger our inner anxieties. So just starting there with, with your background in, in academia, perhaps you've encountered young writers who, who come up against that apprehensiveness to be so forthright sure. on the page. And I wonder what it was like for you to get these, these essays down. Well, you know, as I've told students many times, there's a difference between just putting down your miseries or your your insecurities or whatever and uh, turning it into art. And you, if 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 you know that when you're reading it, there's it, it's something that the reader always picks up on. Is this simply somebody trying to uh, have a therapy session on paper, or is this uh, attempting to create art? And, uh, and, you know, nobody wants to start out saying, oh, I'm going to create art. You don't do that. <laughs> but what you do is you stay conscious of the fact that you're, you're not, you're not, your ego go, it must be way over to the side. What you're trying to do is create some, a good piece of writing. And the good piece of writing, who knows whether it rises to the level of, quote, art, but but you want a good piece of writing. And that's that takes center stage more so than uh, your little personal therapy session. Sure, sure. It's it's such a unique experience to be the writer in the solitary room by yourself, just you and a laptop or a page. And you're, these words are kind of going out into the ether. You don't know who it will resonate with. Um, well, like, and you don't think about that. Right. You, you don't want that to be center stage when you're writing. You you simply want to say to yourself, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to do the best I can with this. I want it to be beautiful. I want it to be beautiful writing. Yeah. And, and so you, at first, you're not thinking of the audience at all. You might be thinking of the audience when you're doing some revision but not in that first stage. And I think that sort of saves it uh, from being uh, whatever, whatever other quality it could be like proselytizing or, or whatever. Sure. Uh, A a quick note about this book. Uh, You are a poet and this book reads like poetry, but it's arranged like a memoir. Uh, So I, I just admire. And I guess it's interesting since these essays are an assemblage from across the decades. I guess can you just talk a little bit about that the craft of the lyrical essay because your sentences feel like snippets of poetry and yet it is arranged into cohesive paragraphs. I um, can't help it. I'm just <laughs> I just can't help it. No matter how hard I try to stay away from poetry, it, that's what happens. But it is true that across the decades I I, you know, I had no idea that I, I did not realize when I, I have one collection of memoir essays mm-hmm. uh, from University of Nebraska Press. And when I started writing these other essays, I wasn't at all thinking, oh, I'm going to have a book out of these one day. I, I just kind of wrote one and it would get published and I wrote another and I wrote another. And at some point I realized that I had uh, so many that it would be really a uh, sensible thing to do to put these together. And you're right, over 10 years, um, that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I tried to figure, what can I do? One essay, I say my father's 92 and he's living in an assisted living. And in another essay, he's dead. 
And so how can I, so what I finally decided to do is put dates Mm -hmm. on, not on every single essay, but dates on the ones that specifically needed dates. And I had to negotiate a little bit with Wayne State about exactly where to put those dates and how to put those dates. Oh, they were wonderful. I mean, I'm not, no complaint at all, but we had to work that out. Sure. Uh, I want to quote a line from one of your essays. Uh, what is felt in the body? Uh, no, what is felt collects in the body with no comment. Um, and I and I used the word therapeutic earlier, which is always on the border of being cliche in my esteem. When it comes to when it comes to what an artist and an author receives, you know what 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 does what does the author receive in terms of the fulfillment department? Is it just therapy? But I read some of these sentences and I felt that that sentence is a difficult thought. That confession is a difficult memory. That is a hard boiled sentiment. But it also probably felt you probably felt better to exude it rather than have it build up that that sentence it builds in the body with no comment i love that opening sentence and i found it to be such a powerful opener thank you i when i think of building in the body with no comment i mean i've been a a a buddhist practitioner for many years and so i i do uh that comes to me very naturally to 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 feel in the body with no comment and uh yeah, the, the the thing. Yes, of course. Any kind of writing is, in a sense, therapeutic because you can, by putting a word out there, you can take those those inarticulate feelings and give them a place to live. And if you give them a place to live, it's a little bit easier to uh, to deal with. Yeah. But we can't we can't um, uh, confuse the word with the feeling i mean those what well, the word only stands for something and it it, it it stands for it as anybody who writes knows it stands for it very awkwardly you cannot do it really you just get close one of the most poignant essays is maybe even the shortest it's titled the moment and it's also one of the oldest and it's one of my favorites but it i i did start to pick up on this maybe a, a theme thread connection here on this meditation on moments, these impressions, these freeze frame images in our memory, uh, particles of the past and how we almost need photos to help us believe the occurrence uh, even transpired. But the moment, can you talk about how, and this was kind of in your, in your latest, your latest essay about uh, hikes, these brief exchanges we have with people. Can you talk about how, that came to you, it seemed to come to you really early, whether it was uh, epiphany and, and what it's been like to, to flesh that out in the preceding essays, these moments. Well, I'm not sure we have anything but moments. Yeah. You know, uh, we put them together and we say this is the story of that, but uh, they just kind of are moments. And I just had a that essay, which, as you say, is fairly old, was an attempt to articulate um, uh, a time that was so painful and so uh, difficult to get through that I just wanted to see if I could talk about it without talking about it, to talk about the feelings of it without uh, the the actual kind of the the narrative of the story. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so, yeah, well, I'm really, it's interesting that you you single that out. It, it is true that a, a lot of the essays in the book are, uh, have moments. Sure. You know, one moment after another. Sure. That the, the moments of tragedy or moments of nourishment and, you know, we'll link to your website in, in the show notes. I thought the latest essay was just really beautiful. The, the idea that that is almost uh, something approaching brief moments of an almost holy experience, these little kindnesses that we share, these little brief encounters. Um, two, we should talk about an essay that actually involves friends because it is called Mortality with Friends. Two essays for me are, um, I'm going to talk about two at once, I guess. One is Strong Brown God, and the other is Your Father, My Father. Now, both pieces are almost like preemptive remembrances they're they're weighted with this reckoning of how the end of life is uh is nigh particularly the life of such a figurehead in someone's world such as a father the the former strong broad god uh uh is an essay the latter is something of a transcribed conversation but can you just talk about what it felt like for you the writer to get these pieces down where you're poised to peer through the veil almost as you stand alongside your father what what that reckoning felt like? Well, that first essay, Strong Brown God, uh, it's one of my favorites. I, I, I like it. Be, I don't know. I think it, it, it comes closer to uh, showing what I knew. And uh, it, I just I think it was so amazingly fascinating to me that this father of mine who was somewhat autistic, maybe fairly, I don't know where on the, on the scale he is, but was, but um, that he could be so blind to the fact that he was courting this woman in the assisted living or the, actually it was the nursing home section, while at the same time, his former woman was looking out the window, seeing him courting this woman and how innocent he was, completely innocent of the pain of that and what was what he was doing, what was happening. And I think part of the, the pleasure of getting that down was simply somebody needed to see it and say it. And so uh, it was it was rewarding to me to, to be able to say, look, look what was happening. Otherwise, if I hadn't said, look what was happening, it would have been missed in the world. Sure. Just this strange, strange um, uh, relationship. And, and going talking about the uh, volley with Judith Kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the same thing, only uh, as Judith and I started working on that, um, we, we, we did this. We were trying to remember but of that what we were saying when we were sitting there in that outside cafe in Tacoma, Washington, but really we were doing it uh, as we were writing it back and forth to each other later because we couldn't remember everything. So we just would take a subject and run with it and try to remember about our fathers. And the, the one that Judith and I had in common, both of us had these strong, strange fathers who dominated our lives so totally. And yet they were hysterical from some perspective. And so, again, it was a matter of wanting to to say, look at this. You've got to see this. You've got to see how strange he was and how absolutely delightfully strange. But then the longer we wrote, the longer we wrote, both of us got to the point that 
we were having to deal past the, the amusing part of it and look at the sad part of it, the part of it that damaged our lives mm-hmm. and hurt us so much. And so we had to quit. We just got to the point that we said, okay, it's been fun. It's been funny, mm-hmm. but we can't say anymore because the funny has it run out. Mm-hmm. And it was. I mean, living with him was a stitch mm-hmm. some of the time. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you're a child, you don't know that your parent is autistic. And we didn't even have that word then. All we knew is he wasn't like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And we felt very alone uh, in that way because we couldn't we couldn't point to I couldn't point to him and say, oh, you know, your father's like my father. You know, It was just it was just weird. There's and there's so much about us, about any of us personally, you, I, and our fathers that not everyone gets to see, you know? And I don't know. I like the way you described that about this. You're, it's almost what your stick. It's almost fly on the wall. Someone needs to see this. I love how you, how you put that. And when I have tried to write essays about my own father, I don't know if I'm getting as close to it. I, I, I narrate about his history. I find there's interesting things about his life, but I haven't uh, unpacked him yet. And I and I'm almost well. I guess I used to be afraid to until I read your book. And I think that's <laughs> the best compliment I can give you. As I feel, it like, is a great compliment. Yes, well, you know, there is an essay in there called uh, "Inside the Conch Shell," mm-hmm. and I wrote actually wrote that first for a craft talk at my low residency. That and so I was talking to students about this obsession about and and truly, I mean, you think about say. Um, uh, uh, Philip Levine, others who've had obsessions about their childhood. I mean, many, many writers do. And we shouldn't feel apologetic about that at all mm-hmm. because every, you know, good writing comes out of obsession. Yeah. And, and it's, and the longer you obsess of uh, thinking of you and your writing and your father, the longer you obsess, mm-hmm. the deeper you'll get under the surface. If you look at some of the first essays I wrote about my father or even poems, the, he seemed kind of charmingly unusual. Mm-hmm. But the longer I stayed with it, and maybe it was a few years of therapy in there too that helped, mm-hmm. but the longer I stayed with it, the more I saw it in its complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the complexity is what becomes really interesting to me. I, and I don't know if this is ever a, mo- a motive, and I don't know if the writer should have a motive or if you have a philosophy on whether or not any writer should have a motive, but I think there's something to be appreciated in how your essays and how writing that is similar to your writing um, can help a reader feel less alone and feel I guess uh, less uh, less under attack from their own anxieties. Uh, you know, I, I'm in a I'm in a writers group, and we were just talking about uh, how even the most successful writers are probably still feeling a sense of self doubt. I guess uh, there's a you know, imposter syndrome. That's what it is. And that's maybe off on a, on, on a tangent, but I think there is something to be said about how anxiety is so universal for my father, exactly. for your father, for us. And 
Yes, yes. And I think anxiety is a natural outcome of not locking things down. You know, you you can't, we can't as humans, just, we can't avoid anxiety unless we decide to lock ourselves in a box <laughs> and uh, pretend that we have all the answers. Right. And as long as we're not pretending we have all the answers, of course, we're going to be anxious Absolutely. because, yeah, Absolutely. you just have to be. And there's nothing wrong with anxiety as long as it doesn't cripple you. Right. Right. And it and it you can be less crippled by it if you're reading powerful writing that makes you feel less alone and they can relate and identify with what you're talking about. Um, okay. I was just complimenting you on your essay. It is about hiking. It's about trails. It's about northwestern Michigan. I want to talk back to this book, Mortality with Friends. You write powerfully about place as well, locations, the land, houses, the restaurants. Uh, it hits me so hard at the end when there is cremation and a scattering of the ashes and this profound connection or reconnection, maybe even uh, a permanent fusing with the land and the nature and the water. Can you talk, because uh, you really, you talk as much about land as you do about life sometimes can you talk about that speak to why would ruminations on mortality be almost inextricable from from location or, or habitation it seemed to be oh what a great question and something i've never really quite thought about in that way before yeah. um yeah land is incredibly important to me and uh uh you know we live we live all winter on the third floor of a condo. And so when I get back to the cottage in the summer, I'm just desperate to have my feet on the ground again. And I, I, all I can say is that um, the, the surroundings themselves uh, are not only deeply nurturing, but they, and as far as, you know, the ashes, throwing the ashes and my ashes are going to end up there too and the said that my grandmothers are there too my aunts are there too in the lake we shouldn't say that because i think it's illegal but uh <laughs> uh, uh at, at least and we put some of them on the shore and i because i mean you know dust we are the dust we return at the end and uh uh that's just that's that's okay mm -hmm. that's okay if we hadn't touched on it yet and maybe you've already answered this in a previous interview. I know you did a book launch, but if I could just ask rather generally what what it is that you hope someone takes away from from this book in the end. I think you've just said it. I've got you've it. said all the things. I mean, it, it, it this hit me. is just Oh, you've just been so exactly you're reading the book the way I want it to be read. All right. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Yes. Um, any other thoughts to share about, because um, you've uh, just casually, um, you've lived all over, but you know, you're a Michigander now, or at least most of the year you are. Um, tell us. Oh, about I am it. all year. That's good. Yeah. How, do, how do you like the Mitten State having lived? Well, all over? I, uh, you know, it takes a long time to live in Michigan before you get accepted as a Michigander. Right? <laughs> for, for years, uh, we had our cottage here. My, it's been in my family for a hundred years. So, and that's in Antrim County. And, but, but uh, then when we moved here in 2007 uh, from Delaware, uh, it, it took a while to begin to feel like I was part of this community. But um, I, uh, uh, this is this is exactly where I want to be, and I find it. One, one thing I wrote in the essay about uh, the cruise in the Caribbean, uh -huh. 
is that somewhere I think I said this, that the thing I adore about Michigan is that it's still rough in a lot of ways. And living in Delaware, now I have to say every place is rough in its own way, but, but it's so polished in a way. And I like being where there are some rattletrap cars and some old guys on the street with big beards and um, uh, just there's a it's not there's a sense of not being finished. Mm -hmm. And that appeals to me a whole lot. I I feel really um, uh, I like being where things feel. And of course, that's one of the reasons I like the woods. Sure. Um, Yeah. Um, And then another kind of general question. But, you know, as a writer, you you could have you know, you could have focused ex- exclusively on your writing. You could have gone into, you know, just seclude yourself and only work on essays, but you, you got into the educational game. Can you talk about just that other part of your life of working with students, working with aspiring writers and what you find fulfilling about that? Oh, well, I'm kind of a teacher. My father was a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. I, I It's built into me, I think. And, and, uh, of course, part of it was I needed to earn a living. Well, there's that. And uh, yeah, there's Starving that. Artists. And uh, the University of Delaware was an absolutely wonderful place to be for all of my teaching career. Um, uh, it was uh, it was it was just ideal. I, I got to it was it's a research university which gave me plenty of time off to get my own writing done, mm-hmm. and at the same time uh, I got to teach students and and uh i like teaching workshops i like teaching well even after i retired i've spent up until last year i was teaching in the rainier writing workshop in tacoma mm-hmm. uh which is a low residency and uh so i i like teaching i i just uh i'm at the age now that i don't want to do it to the extent i i'm happy to do a little bit of it but i don't want to do it to the extent that sure. i was then sure uh I have to say, I, I, I mean, of course, I'm I'm highly recommending this book. But what's especially great about the the essay form, the you know, these are this is a book someone can pick up and they don't have to feel intimidated that they have to read all 250 pages at once. You can just pick it up, read 10 pages, and that is a, a for lack of another word, that is a that is an effective dosage. That is it. And that is the or a meditation or a breath of fresh air. So people can this is the kind of book that people can just pick up and take a deep breath and just read one piece and then come back to it, you know? So um just uh these are like uh, poems. They're just like big poems yep. because it's you don't you have a short enough length, so as you say, you can just you can have that and stop. Mm-hmm. You don't have to read the whole thing. Yes. But there's sentiments contained in each short essay that feel as big as a book. So that's what's so powerful about it. So I think I said even before we started recording, or maybe I'm already on the essay saying this, I'm going to say it again. Thanks for writing these because it's a, it's a, as a reader, it was very uh, helpful and poignant to find them, uh, especially at this time in my life. So. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. That was just uh, just a wonderful interview. And that was our chat with Felita Brown, author, teacher, lecturer. We're going to be linking to her website, which is simply felitabrown.com, where she's regularly sharing essays 
and it was such a pleasure and privilege to talk with her about this new collection of essays titled Mortality with Friends, which is out on Wayne State University Press, each one poignantly capturing the truth of life. Could be an ugly truth, could be a beautiful truth. Maybe all truth is beauty, as they say. It's great to talk to not just a writer, but an English teacher and uh, just so appreciative of the wisdom she shares, not only on our website, but um, all the gems of wisdom that are threaded into, into these essays. That is our show, and we uh, thank you for listening to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of these episodes is by a local musician known as Sunset. If you want to support this podcast, you could go to ferndalefriends.org, or you could like it, leave a review on iTunes, leave a comment, tell a friend about it. If you liked this episode, share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thank you for listening.